you're new with us, we are working our way through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and uh, we are in uh, the, the final, uh, final few chapters of this letter, <clears throat> and this week and next week, uh, we uh, will continue to talk about God's power being displayed in human weakness, uh, and so I uh, look forward to uh, working through this uh, with you as it's been super encouraging to me personally, uh, and I want us to pray before we jump in uh, to this text this morning. Even through the valley, Father, you are faithful. You're with us in the fire and in the flood. The king said, I saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then there's a fourth one. Grateful that you stand with us in our trials. What a testimony we have in front of us, Father, of the endurance of the Apostle Paul, but even more so of your sustaining grace in this man's life. May every heart this morning be encouraged as we consider your all-sufficient grace and power and how you not only sustain us, but use us in our weakness. We pray all this today in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, strength through weakness is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith, and it's one of the dominant themes, if not the dominant theme, uh, in the letter of 2 Corinthians. In fact, if you were to pick a verse or two to summarize the whole letter, I think you would pick uh, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 9 and 10, where Paul makes, uh, where, where the Lord responds to Paul's plea to remove the thorn in his flesh with the famous statement, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Everything that Paul says in the text we're looking at today and then in the, the text next week really funnels into that great climactic reality uh, for Paul, that in his weakness, God's grace is sufficient and his power is displayed in his weakness. Now, if you're not a Christian, what I hope you see in, the, in this, this uh, sermon today, and hopefully you keep coming back, is, is how grace is at the heart of the Christian message. And that the, the, what we hold out to you today is not clean up and straighten up and fly right and get your act together, but to come to Jesus as you are and allow his grace to transform you, just as it had transformed the Apostle Paul and many in this room today. That you're not beyond the reach of God's saving grace, nor are you beyond the need of His saving grace. But now, if you are a Christian, what I hope you're encouraged by today is the fact that the Lord uses weak people by His grace. He sustains us. If you think you're too weak to be used by God, you should think again. You're actually a great candidate to be used by Him. Now, weaknesses are not sins, okay? We'll be talking about weaknesses over the next couple of weeks. How you respond to a particular weakness might be sinful, but the the weakness itself is not a sin. And a number of things can be a weakness. In fact, we'll look next week at Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what that is. And it's, it's probably a good thing because we can apply it to a whole realm of things. And this verb to be weak has a wide range of meanings. And so our weaknesses do a number of things, but one of the things that they do is they, they cause us to depend on Jesus. So, for example, you may have a health condition that frustrates you. You may have little money. You may have a learning disability. You may have terrible headaches. You may have no Christians in your home. You may have a career that makes it challenging for you to be a faithful Christian. You may have need for employment. You may not be able to get through to your kids. You may not be able to have kids. You may not be a good speaker, or perhaps English isn't your first language. 
You might be socially awkward. You might feel lonely. I'm sure many feel exhausted. You may not have good eyesight. You may think you don't look well. Or your hairline may be receding excessively. Mine went on spring break and never came back. And what Paul encourages us with here is what he's being mocked for by the false teachers, he actually affirms. They say Paul's weak and unimpressive, and he says, yep. Therefore, anything that God does in and through me, all the glory goes to him. It's in my weakness that the power of God and the grace of God really do shine. Weak saints have a strong Savior, and his grace is enough for us. And that's the astonishing reality that God chooses to fulfill his purposes in the world through ordinary, unimpressive, weak saints. And so Paul boasts in weaknesses. It's a very strange thing because you don't hear this in modern day culture, and you didn't hear it in Paul's culture. Boasting in weaknesses, because for Paul, boasting in his weakness was boasting in the Lord. He's already said it's only right to to give glory to God. It's only right to boast in the Lord. And so he magnifies these weaknesses. He shows how unimpressive he is so that Jesus alone will receive the glory. What he's up against is a, a whole series of attacks by these false teachers whom he sarcastically calls super apostles. And they love to troll out their accolades and their accomplishments and their letters of recommendation and and all of the showy signs of significance. And Paul says, if you want to see my resume, look at my scars. You want to look at my resume, look at my stress. You want to look at my resume, look at this story in Damascus, how hideous I look. I am very unimpressive. Now, you can be used by Jesus as long as you're okay with Jesus getting the glory. That's that's what Paul's teaching us here. So I want you to see today three expressions of weakness that we can identify with. Okay, Sufferings, stress, this anxiety, daily pressure, and then a a story of uh, of, that's very unimpressive. Now, there's an intro in verse 16 to 21. If you weren't with us last week, we talked a little bit about this. I don't want to rehash it. But Paul's doing something that some scholars call fool's speech. Okay, He, He is engaging in kind of some sarcastic dialogue. It's a particular style of speech that he he thinks, number one, it's foolish to brag about oneself, and so he doesn't want to do it. And then he he thinks the way that the false teachers do it is also foolish, but he knows if he doesn't show his real credibility to the Corinthian church, they might get taken by these false teachers. So he kind of plays their game. He he, he plays the, the fool's speech game. He fights fire with fire, so to speak. And, and we know this, this in, a, in various ways, right? Different kinds of issues call for different kinds of speech. So the way you say goodnight to your kid at night is hopefully different than the way you would yell at them if they're about to get hit by a car, right? There's, there's a different style. And Paul is adopting a particular style in order to, to reach these Corinthians. And so he has to engage in what he says is a little bit of boasting. But there's a twist in what Paul does. He flips it, and he doesn't actually boast in the churches he's planted the converts he's made, how much money he's raised, but he highlights his own weakness. And so that's what he's doing. Verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord, but as a fool. He thinks it's foolish again to, to, to engage in this kind of, of, 
of look at me kind of speech, but he understands that he, he wants to reach the Corinthians. He speaks not as the Lord, meaning this is not Paul's usual style of speaking. The usual way in which Paul would engage people is chapter 10, verse 1. He would appeal to them by the meekness of Christ. But he plays sort of the prophet here. You know, the prophets often use sarcasm and irony and, and, and uh, satire in order to mock the idolatry of, of the day. And Paul here is using the same kind of method in order to mock the false teachers and, and, and to try to undermine their influence. And he says, since many boast according to the flesh, that is about their accomplishments, um, I, I too will boast. For you will gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. You can hear the sarcasm. You guys really think you're wise, but you're engaging in foolish uh, teaching from these false apostles. And then he says a few things that are quite uh, troubling about the way in which they have tolerated these false teachers and the kind of abuse that they have uh, born as a result. Five actions, he says, that you have allowed. If someone makes slaves of you, devours you, takes advantage of you, puts on airs, that is to be uh, arrogant, braggadocious, or strikes you in the face, perhaps literally, they had tolerated this kind of, of, of influence in these super apostles. And you look at that list and it's like, we are to do the exact opposite of that list. And instead of making slaves of people, we want to liberate people. We want to heal, not devour. We want to empower, not take advantage of. We want to display a humble uh, compassion toward people, not, not, not be arrogant. And we want to embrace with affection and not slap people in the face. And Paul says, you've put up with this. I can't believe you've put up with it. And to my shame, he says, we were too weak for that. Again, it's a touch of sarcastic, uh, sarcastic rebuke here from the apostle. And now that all sort of sets the tone for these, these expressions of weakness that Paul is going to, to uh, point out, and the first would be his sufferings. First, he says something about his Jewishness when he says, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Probably they were, they were saying about Paul that he wasn't a real Jew or he wasn't loyal to the Jews. After all, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, but of course, Paul was Jewish. He's a Hebrew, as he says. Are they Israelites? I am too. Are they offspring of Abraham? I am too. And then he quickly pivots from that list of kind of Jewish uh, pedigree, Jewish credentials, to a list of afflictions. It's quite a list, isn't it? Like if you're ever having a bad day, just read this. It encourages you uh, because uh, Paul went through some stuff. Uh, this was the first CrossFit right here. Uh, uh, Paul, Paul endured much sacrifice by the result of following Jesus. Now, I want us to look at these three categories of weakness, sufferings, stress, and this story, three expressions. Now, when it comes to the sufferings, I just want to say this before we look at the list. I think there are two mistakes that we don't want to make as we look at this list. Number one, the point is not to praise Paul. Again, Paul is, is using this approach and showing his weaknesses so that Jesus would be praised, right? That Jesus is faithful, his grace is sufficient for us in our weakness. The other mistake is to feel guilty that you haven't suffered like Paul. And you're like, oh man, I need some more suffering. Well, I don't think that's the point either. Instead, I think there are three takeaways as we look at this list to keep in mind. Number one, endurance. 
while we will not suffer exactly the same way of the, the, apostle, the apostle Paul, one of the takeaways that we see borne out throughout Scripture is that God's people are to be faithful through adversity. The New Testament assumes that following Jesus is difficult. That's very important in a comfort-laden society. And that we, we bristle at anything that says, this is hard. It is hard to follow Jesus. And that's part of what it means to be faithful. All of God's people who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted at some level. So as we look at this, I think that's the challenge that confronts us. Are we being faithful through whatever affliction we're enduring today? The second takeaway, another E, is evaluation. Endurance, evaluation. I think one of the things we see in this section is that we do not evaluate success the same way the world does. Paul doesn't say, D.A. Carson says it like this. This is what the, the false teachers would have expected Paul to say. Quote, I have established more churches. I have preached the gospel in more lands and to more ethnic groups. I have traveled more miles. I have won more converts. I have written more books. I have raised more money. I have dominated more councils. I have walked with God more fervently and seen more visions. I have commanded the greatest crowds and performed the most spectacular miracles. All of which would have been true. But he doesn't do that at all. Not one time do you ever see Paul talking about how many baptisms he had. How many, how many books he wrote? What do you see Paul doing? I mean, let me tell you, man, <laughs> I, I've suffered. Uh, I'm not very impressive. As one writer put it, what qualified him was not heroics, but hurts. Not degrees, but dangers. And that's very important for us to see in a celebrity-laden culture. We take away endurance. We take away evaluation. What is the evaluation? Be faithful. Be faithful. Thirdly, encouragement. I think the takeaway here is Jesus' grace is enough in your affliction. And Jesus not only sustains you in it, but can use you and, use and work through it. Okay? So that's my little setup. We won't spend long on the sufferings. Four categories. I think you could group them in. Uh, they're not very good categories that I came up with, but nevertheless, I have four of them. Um, reoccurring sufferings is the first category. Verse 23, he says, I am talking like a madman. Did I just drop my water out of my new pulpit? Oh, man. Sorry, buddy. Uh, get back in there. <laughs> I got to get used to it, guys. It's got a little wobble, baby, wobble, baby. <laughs> Where was I? Reoccurring sufferings, okay? Um, it's not the podium. It's not got the It's the floor. The floor. Nothing wrong with this podium. It's brand new. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. You notice that this is reoccurring. This is just... Tuesday. It's just regular following Jesus for the Apostle Paul. It's not a one-time experience. And again, his, his endurance is very challenging to us. He labors. He mentions his labors in various places, imprisonments. I read of one of those in uh, Acts 16 when he's in Philippi. And so it is, if you can identify with an ongoing affliction, this is what Paul says in verse 23. Then he moves to a second category of what I just call enumerated sufferings. When he says in verse, verses 24 and 25, he counts some of the afflictions. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. It's a roundabout way of saying 39. Right? The Jewish law allowed for only 40 of these lashes. So they would often give them 39 as sort of a mock mercy toward the victim or in case they couldn't count. They didn't want to mess up and go over. So we're going to do a 39. Fragments of bone and basically anything that they could find that would be 
that would be tormenting. And he says, this happened five times. Again, just amazing. Why? Because he was preaching Jesus as Messiah. Three times, verse 25, he was beaten with rods. This was a type of Roman punishment. Stiff instruments of pain across the apostle. Verse 25, once I was stoned. Not with weed, but with rocks. In case you're wondering what he means there. Probably wanted some after he was stoned with rocks. But once, and you say, where was that at? Well, in Acts 14, he's in Lystra. And first they think he's a god, and then they want to kill him. Where they leave him for dead. They thought he was dead, and Paul gets right back up and goes back into the city. He says, yeah, I remember that. Once I was stoned. Shipwrecked three times. Now today we think about a Mediterranean cruise. It sounds lovely. But back in, in antiquity, it was very, very dangerous to, to be on these ships. In fact, the ancient philosopher Secundus, whom I'm sure you were reading this morning, answered Hadrian's question, what is a boat, by saying, a well-crafted tomb. And what is a sailor? He replied, a neighbor of death. Now, that's the kind of travel. He's not in first class, you know, going to the Sky Club and then setting up in there with all the all those important people. No, he was shipwrecked three times. Verse 26, category three, suffering from being in dangerous situations. You hear all the repeated dangers here. When he says frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Everywhere, danger. Rivers, robbers. We, uh, I was in Athens several years ago now, but we went from Athens to Corinth. It's not a long drive. We were in a, in a bus, and they were telling us this is, where the, this is where the bandits would be as you would go through countrysides. It was just normal to experience that kind of danger. So again, all of Paul's travels had this. He had dangers from his people, his own people. We read about that all through the book of Acts, how the Jews were upset with Paul. Dangers from Gentiles. One example would be in Ephesus when there was a riot and they had to, to, to get Paul out of the city. Danger from those who said they were brothers but really weren't brothers. He's experiencing some of that, it seems, here in Corinth. So pretty much everywhere he went, city, wilderness, sea, danger. Fourth category, physical suffering due to his calling and his, his craft as a tent maker. In toil and hardship... Through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Again, you're talking about a time in which hotels weren't everywhere. You're relying on hospitality of people. Oftentimes, it seems Paul slept outside. Sometimes he didn't sleep much at all, and that was partly because he was a bivocational missionary who would make his tents, and then he would minister at night. And so Paul here is doing something that, the, listen, the super apostles would never do. Because again, the super apostles would be akin to prosperity preachers today. And a prosperity preacher would not get up and list all of their problems and afflictions. Right? But Paul does. Paul wants them to know where his power is and the grace that he's experienced in Jesus. He's faced all manner of physical torment, and he doesn't know when his, his, his sermon will be his last sermon. And he hasn't slept much. Now, you compare this, scholars have said, Paul may be, uh, again, sarcastically doing something by referencing, in a subtle way, Caesar's autobiography, which says this, twice have I had lesser triumph, three times the full triumph. 
21 times have I been saluted as imperator. 55 times has the Senate decreed a thanksgiving unto the immortal gods in my name. Nine kings and children of kings have been led before my chariot in my triumphs. Thirteen times I have been counsel. And that original inscription was erected on bronze pillars at the emperor's mausoleum in Rome. And Paul says, well, here here are my credentials. I got slapped a lot. I got beat up. I've been in danger. And again, through it all, we see the all-sufficient grace of Jesus Christ. Sufferings. Secondly, stress. The second kind of weakness that Paul magnifies is found here in verses 28 and 29. And it's set apart by this little introductory phrase, and apart from other things. So what Paul's just mentioned is not an exhaustive list. And what he says now is also set apart from that list. He now points to the internal pressure that he feels, the daily anxiety, he says. There's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. One writer says, this statement of Paul's pastoral regard stands as the high point of the list of his trials. So if we look at the afflictions and then look at this, this is the one that really got Paul. The daily pressure, the anxiety, same word Jesus uses in Matthew 6 about anxiety, but there he's talking about a sinful anxiety that comes when you don't trust God. This is a, a concern, for, a healthy concern for the welfare of others. That, that, as a, that, that presses you. This is the kind of thing Jesus expressed when he looked at Jerusalem and he says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. He, he felt the weight of their condition. And Paul says, I have this pastoral anxiety. It's the daily pressure. He's already mentioned some of this in 2 Corinthians when he said he was fearful when he didn't see Titus. He was concerned about Titus and about the church. In Philippians, he mentions Epaphroditus who had gotten sick and he wanted to send him back and he wanted him to be received and be healthy so that he says, I won't have as much anxiety as I do now. To the Galatians, he says, I am again in the anguish of childbirth with you until Christ is formed in you. The flip side of that is what John says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Because there's no greater anxiety when they're not. And you say, well, what stressed Paul out so bad? Well, just read the Bible. These people are messed up, man. Galatians, they're wanting to add to the gospel. The Colossians are guilty of syncretism. In Crete, Paul says, Titus, I'm going to send you down there to put that place in order. They're lazy gluttons, evil beasts, and liars. I think you'll enjoy it, right? Ephesus, the threat of false teachers. Thessalonians are caught up in fanatical ideas about the return of Christ. And the Corinthians, they have so many problems. No church would have given Paul more anxiety than the church in Corinth. He planted the church and didn't even know if he wanted to go back to visit these people. But what did he do? He preached sermons, he wrote letters, he made visits, he responded to criticism. And how do they respond to Paul? He's too weak. He's too harsh. They complained about his teaching. They said he didn't have the right credentials. They compared him to super apostles. This is the guy who had preached the gospel to them, planted the church from them, loved them like a father, refused to take financial support from them, and risk his life for them. And now they're bored with Paul. They're frustrated with Paul. They don't like the way he handles money. They don't like his preaching. They don't like his travel plans. They don't like his methodology. And no weight was as heavy as this weight that Paul had in caring for the church. And you could ask any pastor, any church leader, 
and they will be able to identify with this daily anxiety, this daily pressure, and then most of them feel guilty for not doing more. There was no weight for Paul like this weight. And he tells us a little bit about what that, what that was like in verse 29 when he says, who is weak that I am not weak? That is to say, if someone is not spiritually strong, in danger of falling away, he feels deeply for them. He's not indifferent to them. He's not this, this heady theologian that is not in the lives of people. No, when they are weak, he's weak. And he says, when someone is made to fall, that is, they're led astray by like a false teacher, I'm indignant. I don't take that lightly. And again, as you read the stories of the New Testament, you see that Paul had many occasions to feel this way. To be a faithful Christian leader of any kind means you feel deeply. There is the daily pressure and anxiety that you have for the well-being of, of, of individuals. And so let's pray for each other during this time because we feel that way, don't we? We can identify with Paul here. And, but let's be encouraged that God uses stressed out saints. God uses suffering saints, and God uses stressed out saints. That's pretty much all there are anyway, right? That's, that's all we have. Finally, a story. This is quite a little paragraph, verses 30 to 33. You first read this story, and you're like, what in the world is that doing here? I mean, I get the afflictions, I, I got the anxiety, and then he says, let me tell you about a time. I was let down the window in a fish basket. <laughs> it sounds somewhat heroic, except Paul tells us how to read it in verse 30 when he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So clearly, this is intended to be an illustration of weakness. Paul says, let me tell you how unimpressive I am. First, he's got a little doxology. I like that about this paragraph too. Paul just bounces out with doxologies. It's a good, good pattern for us, isn't it? He kind of Christianizes a Jewish blessing, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. What I'm about to tell you is true, and what I've just told you is true, and I bless this God. I bless this God who sustains me in weakness, who uses me despite my weaknesses. And then he tells the story at Damascus, you can read about this in Acts 9, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. The Jews wanted to seize Paul because Paul was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he says, but I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped his hands. Now, again, you could read that like sort of a James Bond film. That's fantastic. What a story. But I think Paul is, is trying to communicate the opposite of that. Do you know how unimpressive I am? The mighty apostle is let down like a bundle of merchandise through a window. He's probably reacting to the idea of the Roman soldiers who would scale walls and get rewarded for it. You read that kind of thing in uh, Proverbs 21, 22. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Paul's not one who's scaling walls. He's escaping. And he says, in other words, if you ever made a famous Christian, you're around them very long, you know they're, not, they're actually not impressive. They do the same stuff you do, man. You know, like, I won't get into it, but you know what I'm talking about. And this is one of those displays where you, if, it, Paul, it's almost embarrassing for Paul to tell. But it's an amazing story because we have a guy here, he's not, he's not Superman. 
He's not a superhero. He's having to flee and be let down in a basket. Very similar, by the way, to Rahab who let down the spies. And incredible things happened after that. Paul here let down through a basket at the beginning of his ministry. This would, be, this would typify his ministry. Paul, it's not about you. I'm going to work through you not because you're so mighty and because you can scale walls, but quite the opposite, because you're very unimpressive. Now, a few takeaways from this little story. Number one, and I'm going to be Captain Obvious here, Jesus changes lives. In Acts 9, we read that Paul was actually going to Damascus to persecute followers of Jesus. And then he has to escape because he is preaching the Messiah is Jesus. Jesus transformed this apostle. The second obvious lesson, I think, is the Lord's purposes for his church will prevail. Paul was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians, and that was a fruitless attempt. The Jews then wanted to kill Paul after his conversion, and that was a fruitless attempt because Jesus is Lord over his church. And the takeaway I've been mentioning all through the sermon is that the Lord uses weak, unimpressive, flawed people by his grace and for his glory. So how do we land the plane on this very interesting text? Well, again, friends, be encouraged today. Take it as a challenge to endure the afflictions. And I think maybe just two Bs, boasting and blessing. Will you boast in the Lord and not in accomplishments? Do you recognize your weaknesses and you're only able to boast in the Lord? We don't boast in ourselves. And then blessing. I love, again, in verse 31, there is this doxology tucked away right in the middle of it. I mean, do you bless God after you say this whole list of afflictions and say, praise God? (laughs) We should. Can we humbly bless God in our weakness and our trials? Can we say, God, thank you for humbling me? Thank you for sanctifying me. Thank you for keeping me reliant and low. Thank you for the privilege of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Thank you for allowing it so that you alone can receive glory. This is Paul's Job 1. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Boasting and blessing. The Lord Jesus, his grace is enough. Be encouraged, saints. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great privilege we have of studying your word, of learning from one of your choice servants, that your grace is enough in all of our trials, in all of our afflictions, and that you use the weak for your glory. So we just, with open hands today, Lord Jesus, say, use us. We're not... We're not super impressive people. Let down a wall in a fish basket. That's your apostle. We love your strange ways. Ways in which you receive glory. So we pray that come by your power and by your grace. Use us. Use your church for your glory. In Jesus' good name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen.